0: There's a saying you probably heard um, that the Lord works in mysterious ways. And that's actually not in the Bible, um, word for word, even though a lot of people think it is. But it does seem to be true. And there are so many things that happen in our lives uh, things that are shocking and confusing, things that seem very wrongly timed, things that seem unfair, things that Make really no sense to us at all. And even though the Bible teaches that God is all powerful and that He is redeeming this broken world by the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, we must admit that the Lord does indeed work in very mysterious ways. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16, we'll be in today. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. This passage tells us about a time when Jesus acts very mysteriously. Jesus had just been in Jerusalem, remember, where the crowds had tried to kill him because he claimed to be God. He said, The Father and I are one. And he escaped them, and he went to the other side of the Jordan River with his followers for a while and and while he's there he gets a really urgent message from some of his good friends John chapter 11 verses 1 to 16 dear Lord Jesus please bless the reading of this word Uh, please teach us Holy Spirit now please uh, keep away any forces that would try to distract us or uh, prevent us from hearing your voice Give us what we need, Lord Jesus, and transform us, sanctify us by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start just by reading John uh, 11, verses 1 through 5. Okay, let's start there. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Stop there for a second. First... It's important to see here that Lazarus is really, truly sick, okay? The fact that Lazarus is ill is repeated four times in these five verses. So Lazarus is really sick. He's deathbed sick. And this was thousands of years ago in the Middle East where there weren't flu shots available. There weren't emergency rooms. There weren't walk-in clinics. Lazarus is really sick, and he's in real serious trouble, okay? Second, the passage says that Jesus and his sisters are very special to Jesus. They're his friends. And also, Jesus is very special to them. In verse 2, the Apostle John mentions that it was Lazarus' sister Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with an expensive bottle of perfume a few days before Jesus was crucified. Now, the funny thing is, John hasn't even mentioned that in his Gospel yet. However, it was so well known among the Christians at this time, that he uses this as a reference point to say, this is the Mary that I'm talking about. John will actually talk about that story in the next chapter. But he wants us to know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus loved Jesus very much, and Jesus loved them a lot, too. And that's why in verse 3, they send a message to him about Lazarus' illness, and they simply refer to Lazarus as he whom you love he whom you love and in verse 5 john affirms jesus's great love for lazarus when he writes now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus so lazarus is seriously ill and jesus knows that lazarus's earthly life is in danger And Jesus loves Lazarus very much. So what is he going to do about the situation? Well, before we move on, uh, it's interesting to look back in the gospel of John to see all the different ways that Jesus has healed sick people so far. Remember just in John 9, Jesus heals the man born blind. Jesus spits on the ground and he makes some mud in the dirt and he wipes that mud on this man's eyes and he tells the man to go rinse off and the pool of Siloam and so the blind man does what Jesus says and after he rinses the man can see with his eyes for the first time in his whole life he goes back and his neighbors are dumbfounded they said is this really even the same person that we've grown up with and then in John 5 Jesus heals the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda there's this man who's lays next to this pool and he'd been crippled for nearly 40 years and Jesus simply goes to this crippled man and says, stand up and walk. And so the man obeys Jesus. He stands up. He rolls up his mat, puts it under his arm, and he walks away healed. And there's a whole crowd to see this, and they're dumbfounded too. And and then remember that Jesus performed another incredible healing in in John chapter 4 when there's a dad that we read about who happens to be a Roman official. And this dad has a sick son at home who he loves and who is on his deathbed, and so this dad is 20 miles away from Jesus, so he hikes up to see Jesus, and around 1 p.m. the next day when he sees Jesus, he comes to Jesus, he begs him to heal his son, and Jesus tells the man, your son will live. And so the man trusts Jesus. He he travels back, he hikes back down the 20 miles to his home, and his servants meet him on the path halfway home, and they tell him that at exactly 1 p.m., the boy's fever dropped and that he started feeling better. And 1 p.m. was the exact time that Jesus had told this dad that his son would live. So here we are now in John chapter 11, and it's obvious that because Jesus is God, because he has this track record of healing people in a number of different ways, that he can heal Lazarus whichever way he wants. So let's read verses 5 to 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So when Jesus heard that his dear friend Lazarus was ill, Jesus didn't go to him, and Jesus did not even heal him. Not even from a distance like he did with the son of the Roman official. That is very puzzling, right? Uh, why doesn't Jesus just do something? These are his friends. These are his good friends that he loves that are hurting. He, they know he has the power to help them. He knows the po- he has the power to help them. He, what is he thinking here? Well, let's read verses 7 to 16 to see if it gives us some answers. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So the question we're trying to answer here is why doesn't Jesus heal his friend Lazarus? And at first, the answer seems to be that Lazarus' sickness isn't as serious as it first appears, that he won't die from it, and so he doesn't need to be healed. Uh, After all, in verse 4, Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. Verse 11, Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And so the disciples tell Jesus, if he's just sick and asleep, Jesus, then he's gonna get better. Why do you need to go see him? And then Jesus tells them, Lazarus has died. So Jesus knows Lazarus has died. Okay, remember Lazarus is in Bethany, along on the other side of the river. He knows Lazarus has died now because Jesus is God and he's well aware of everything that's happening. And Jesus knows that right now in Bethany, Mary and Martha are weeping over the body of their dead brother and Jesus' good friend, Lazarus. So why didn't Jesus heal Lazarus? Well, it can't be because Lazarus wasn't really sick, right? Because Lazarus died from his sickness. So why in the world then did Jesus tell his disciples that Lazarus' illness would not lead to death? Because as we've seen in this gospel, as Jesus does time and time again, Jesus is not talking about the physical world here. He's trying to get us to consider reality, which is bigger than the physical world around us. It's the spiritual realm around us too. And Physical illness that results in physical death does not necessarily result in spiritual death. That's what he wants us to know. Jesus wants us to know that while the illness of a physical body can be horrible, and while losing a loved one is often heartbreaking, there is a worse kind of death than the death of a physical body. Even worse is the death of a person's spirit. And since all human spirits exist forever, okay, God created us with physical bodies and a spirit. Our physical bodies as we know them are temporary. We're decomposing, right? We're dirt. But our spirit lasts forever. God created us eternally in His image. And since all human spirits exist forever, then the death of a person's spirit... Refers to a spirit separated from the very thing it was created to enjoy most God. Spiritual death refers to a spirit that's separated eternally from God forever in a place that Jesus calls hell. And in this passage, Jesus says that even though Lazarus' physical body has died, Lazarus' soul will not die eternally. Lazarus, his soul will not be separated from God forever in hell. Okay, so we're getting closer to the answer, but our question still hasn't been answered. Why didn't Jesus heal his friend Lazarus? And Jesus appears to answer this question three different ways in these verses. Let's look at that. First, in verse 4, it says that when Jesus heard about Lazarus' illness, he said this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay? So Jesus says that Lazarus' illness, which leads to his physical death, exists, quote, for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through that. Okay? Let's take that apart a little bit. Jesus says that one reason that Lazarus' illness and suffering and physical death exists is for the glory of God. For the glory of God. What exactly does that mean? What does Jesus mean by the glory of God? The glory of God is the radiant display of everything that God is. Okay? God has attributes. He is perfect in his character. He is holy. That means he's set apart and other. He is totally different than anything else. He is the only uncreated thing. He is holy. God is beautiful. God is good. We know this from scripture. We know this from general revelation and special revelation. That God is awesome and He's greatly to be praised and feared by His creation. That God is just. He always does what's right. That God hates sin and destruction and evil. That God is compassionate and patient with us. And so God's glory is when all of these qualities that make up God, that all of who God is, it is when God puts these on display for his creation to see and then to stand in awe of. That is God's glory. And so Lazarus' illness and death exists for the glory of God in the sense that it's going to serve to show people how awesome God really is. Okay? Now, how this is going to happen is not yet clear when Jesus says that, but Jesus says that it is for this purpose, for God's glory that Jesus didn't heal his friend Lazarus when he heard that he was sick. And notice, this is neat. In verse 4, Jesus directly links God the Father's glory with Jesus the Son's glory. Because God the Father and God the Son Jesus are one God, right, with God the Holy Spirit, then when one of them is glorified, the other is glorified, okay? When God the Father is glorified, God the Son is glorified because there is only one God. And so God the Son Jesus allows Lazarus to suffer and die so that God will be glorified somehow through this. And this tells us that God's glory must be really, really important. Read your Bible and see how many times throughout the Bible you can find the word glory in reference to God. God's glory is important to him it's important to us and we could see that it must be really important to jesus if he is willing to let something terrible happen to a dear friend of his so that god is glorified now verses 14 to 15 jesus tells us another reason why he allowed lazarus to die verses 14 to 15 say then jesus told the disciples plainly lazarus has died And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus tells the disciples that for their sake, he's glad he was not there to heal Lazarus so that they may believe. See, Jesus shows here, he reveals here just how important it is to him that we have faith in him, okay? We see how much Jesus wants life for us and salvation for us when he says that he is glad that he wasn't with his good friend Lazarus when he died because it will now mean that we might believe in Jesus. Jesus came to earth to live for us, to die for our sins, and to rise again so that we might trust in him for salvation and receive eternal life and friendship with God forever as we were created to. Jesus lets his friend Lazarus die so that you and I might trust in Jesus and receive eternal life. And the third place in this passage where we see why Jesus did not heal Lazarus is in verses 5-6 to which say, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So you see that word, so, at the beginning of verse 6. I know just enough Greek to make me dangerous, but I know that the word is un, which also is translated therefore. Therefore. It connects verses 5 and 6. It says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Therefore, Jesus didn't come to them when he heard that Lazarus was sick. So Jesus did not come to Lazarus when he was sick because he loved Lazarus. (laughs) That's mind-blowing, right? Think about that. Okay, let's try to bring these three reasons together why Jesus didn't heal Lazarus, okay? First, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so that God will be glorified in this some way that Jesus knows but isn't clear to us yet. Second, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so that Jesus' disciples and you and I might trust in Jesus and receive eternal life with God. And third, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die because he loved Lazarus and Mary, and Martha. So if you put these three reasons together, here's what you get. Jesus is going to take Lazarus's tragic situation and he's going to do something through it that reveals God's awesome glory in such an amazing way that it will produce faith in those who see it and it will also display the depth of Jesus' love for Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Let's hear that one more time. Jesus is going to take Lazarus' illness and death, and he's going to do something through this that reveals God's glory in such a way that it reveals to those uh, that, that it produces faith in those who witness it and at the same time it reveals the depth of his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So Jesus promises to do something huge here for God's glory and for the joy of friends and strangers and that means that Jesus cares deeply about you and me. You can read this passage and I often have and it, You can read this passage in a way that Jesus appears indifferent and cold. It looks like he's just turning his back on his friends. But when Jesus helps us to look beyond the physical world to see the reality of this real spiritual uh, world that we are part of, then we can begin to see God's care in the midst of a very hard situation. And that Jesus wants us to see His glory in this tragedy, is not because Jesus is an insecure egomaniac. That's not God doesn't need I don't, I don't He doesn't need people to worship Him day and night because He needs that, right? On the contrary, the glory of God, the glory of Jesus that he reveals to us is the radiant display of God, okay? Who is the most breathtaking and beautiful being in existence. And this God, Jesus, is the creator of our lives. And the more that we experience this Jesus in his glory, the more deeply satisfied we are and the more joyful we become and the more freedom we experience in our lives and in eternity, So Jesus' glory revealed to us is for our blessing and for God's due worship. And Jesus will work through Lazarus' sickness and death so that God is going to be glorified and so that we can be eternally satisfied in God alone and say, God is what I need and God, God is all I need and all I want. Now, another way that Jesus shows his care for people in this passage, care for you and me, is in his unusual and perfect timing. His unusual timing and his perfect timing. Verse 6 says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So at first, it appears that Jesus feels no sense of urgency. He feels no sense of urgency to help Lazarus, it doesn't seem to matter if he goes to Lazarus in two days or two weeks. But then, only a few verses later, Jesus tells the disciples that he does feel a sense of urgency with this time and that there's no time to waste. So the disciples asked Jesus, do you really want to go to Lazarus' town of Bethany? Because Bethany is right by Jerusalem where the crowds were just trying to kill him. In verses 9 to 10, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And this is somewhat similar to what Jesus said in John 9, verses 4 to 5. He said, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. So in other words, Jesus knows that his time on earth is short. And so that means he's got to use his time wisely so that he can do all the works that God the Father gave him to do. So even though Jesus seems to lack a sense of urgency at the beginning of this passage, he's actually completely aware of his time and he's intentional about how he uses it. So, for you and for me, this means that even though God often allows us to endure suffering, and He allows us to endure hardships in our life and persecution, and even though we question God's timing, we question God's motives, God knows exactly what He's doing. And God will respond to those whom He loves. In his timing, and he will do that with compassion. And Jesus' compassion shows, shines really clearly here in verse 15, when he essentially tells the disciples, "You're right, it's going to be dangerous going back to Judea, because there are people there who want to kill me. You know what? We're going to go anyway, because our friend is Lazarus. Our friend Lazarus, is dead, and I've got a job to do. Are you guys coming? (laughs) Jesus knows he's going to be arrested soon. He knows he's going to be condemned to death and beaten and hung on a cross. And he knows that the closer he travels to Jerusalem, the closer he'll be to his death. But Jesus is resolute now to go to Mary and Martha in Bethany because it's in his perfect timing. And for the sake of Mary and Martha and for the sake of Lazarus, And for the sake of the disciples and for your sake and for my sake, Jesus walks straight into the danger zone. Entering the danger zone for the good of others is what Jesus does time and time again. And it is what he does ultimately when he goes to the cross. He lays down his life to rescue ours. He becomes filthy with our sin in order to make us clean. He suffers the punishment for our sins so that we will no longer be condemned. And he rises from the dead so that we might have eternal life. Okay. That means that if you're here today and you, are, you have guilt on your conscience, you know you're guilty before God, you have thought evil things, you have done evil things, it means that you can have victory over those, that those things can be wiped away, and that's possible if you trust in Jesus. Okay? It means that Jesus entered the danger zone in order to pull you out of it. Jesus is here now. now. if you know you need God, tell Jesus today, Tell him in your heart and your mind that you need Jesus to save you, that you need him to forgive you, that you trust him as Lord. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm sure that many of you in this room today can relate to Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Maybe you're like Lazarus today and perhaps you have a terminal illness or you are in a really trying circumstance right now. Maybe you're living in chronic physical pain or emotional pain. And maybe like Lazarus, you're praying to God often. You're asking him to help you. You're asking him to deliver you from this, to heal you. You're asking him to lessen your pain And as you eat and sleep and pray and try your best to just keep living, you're waiting for God to answer you. And maybe some of you are like Mary and Martha, and you've got a loved one in your life who is hurting in some way. And it's heartbreaking for you to watch him or her suffer. And perhaps you love the Lord and you know that he's the great physician and you know that he can heal your loved one in an instant instance if he chooses to. And you perhaps pray to God often and you plead with God on behalf of your loved one that he would graciously heal them. And as you try to persevere to care for your loved one and to trust God with the situation, you're waiting for God to answer. Or maybe you're here today and you can relate with Mary and Martha after their brother Lazarus died. And maybe you did everything in your power to help your loved one. You cared for them, you prayed for them, you asked God to heal them. You prayed with as much faith as you could possibly pray uh, that that they would be healed. But your loved one finally passed away and God did not grant your request for their physical healing in this life. Perhaps you're confident that your loved one was a believer or maybe you don't know where your loved one stood with the Lord, but regardless, at this point, your loved one is in the Lord's hands and you're waiting to meet the Lord after this life to ask some questions and hopefully get some answers. Whatever your circumstances are today, this passage shows us that Jesus cares deeply about you today and cares deeply about your loved ones today, even if it doesn't look like it. And as you are persevering and waiting, remember first to look back often to Jesus' life and death and resurrection for you as you read the Bible and the Gospels and as you meditate on what Jesus sacrificed in order to come to earth for us, in order to rescue us from this present darkness, remember that that is a statement about how much he loves you. None of us Christians are waiting to find out if God loves us. Okay? He's already shown us that he loves us. We've got to remember that. And he tells us over and over throughout the Bible with his words that he loves us. And we see God's love most clearly for us in Jesus and in his perfect life and in his substitutionary death and in his resurrection. My first semester at seminary, I remember one of my professors said, whenever you doubt God's love for you, look at the cross. Whenever you doubt God's love for you, look at the cross. I've carried that with me and remembered that. And as we ponder what Jesus' life and death and resurrection means for us in our suffering and for our loved ones, this good news of Jesus, this gospel, also gives us permission and even confidence to look in faith to the living Jesus Christ right now. Okay? So as we read god's word we can now celebrate and should celebrate all the promises that we can now claim because we've been united to jesus in his life and death and resurrection we can trust that jesus is with us through thick and thin because of what he's done for us so trust his promise that his strength is made perfect in your weakness trust his promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. That means he won't turn his back on you. Trust his promise that he cares about you so you can cast all your anxieties on him. Trust that God is in control even when everything seems out of control like it did in this passage. Man, and we need God's help, right? And we need to help each other to open up God's word often and to read these promises over and over again and to cling to these promises in faith as we look, look to Jesus who is alive right now and who is reigning on the throne. Okay? So we look in faith to Jesus right now. And in addition to looking back at the cross and looking to Jesus in faith right now, we also look forward in hope to the future. And we can do that because of Jesus. The, the Christian hope is not mere wishful thinking or happy thoughts. Okay? Christian hope that the New Testament talks about is the confident expectation that Jesus is going to do everything that he promised he would do. And so we're just waiting for it. We're excited. We're looking forward to seeing that done. And so for those of us in Christ who are suffering right now, We can know with confidence that our suffering, this suffering, will not last forever. Period. It will not last forever. We can know with confidence that because we have already died with Christ and been risen with Christ, Romans 6 says that, that we will one day have a perfect, glorified body and spirit that resembles our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We will not be God, but we will resemble God as we should. He will glorify us. And, and I hope that you find some go-to verses that you can turn to when you need hope about the future, when you need that. The Bible's full of them. In Romans 8, is a great place to start. I mean, I started looking, I was like, man, I'll just camp out on Romans 8 as an example here. Romans 8.18, these are promises of our hope in Christ. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Romans 8.22-25, to 25, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 31 to 32, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In Romans 8, 38 to 39, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God's word is full of so many of these promises about our future with him. And these verses fuel our hope for the future as we read them and celebrate them together. Whatever you're going through today, seeing this passage that we should... Look to Christ. And may God grant that you see and that I see his glory and that we find him to be everything that we want and need and more. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this passage, this word today, God. We need you. We thank you, God, that you are personal that you are the God-man, Jesus, who took on human flesh, that you can relate perfectly with us and what we're going through, that you are our creator, that you know our hearts and our minds. You know us better than we know ourselves. So, give us strength to persevere in what we're in today, Lord, please. Work in our lives, please. Work in the lives of our loved ones. Do miracles for your glory. And when we don't see the kind of miracle that we're praying for, please give us faith and hope to trust you and to trust your timing and your purposes. Thank you that we can trust you and we can trust that you have compassion, and will answer to us with great compassion, just as we've seen in this passage. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.